What I have for myself discovered over the years is that procrastination is part of the writing process. Welcome to Darken the Page, a podcast for lovers of writing and the creative process. And now, here's your host, Dave Buda. Welcome to Darken the Page. Today's episode is with my friend uh, Rick Smith. And Rick actually lives here in Bali with me. And he is a self-published writer. He wrote a best-selling book called Conscious Clash- Classroom Management. And we talk about self-publishing, how to do it, one, some of the things you should look out for if you're going to self-publish. We talk about the importance of graphic design. One of the things I really love from this episode is how Rick emphasizes how important it is for people to want to read your book. And what that means is if they open the book, do they, uh, is it appealing? Have you done the layout in such a way that it, it makes people excited to read it? Because when people are excited to read the book, then they do read it. And when they read it, then they pass it on. And that's how books get sold is by word of mouth. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Rick is a, also a really brilliant teacher. So he combines a lot of his experience from life with the way that a, a really great teacher can explain something. So... Enjoy this episode. Go to darkenthepage.com slash 007 for the show notes. And there's a few links. And he also talks about an editor that he loved working with named Kristen Donnan. And so I've put her name in the show notes as well. Enjoy the show. And if you have any feedback for me, don't forget you can email me at darkenthepage at gmail.com. I'm here with my friend Rick Smith. We are here in our house in (laughs) Bali. He's actually one of my roommates here in in Ubud, and Rick is an author and someone who I've appreciated every minute of our conversation so far. So it's wow. it's been really nice. You know, I really feel like you're one of those people that that conversations with you are enjoyable, and I look forward to them. So cool. it seemed like an obvious choice to want to do this here. And so I'd like to start by just well saying thank you for doing this. Sure. And. Just tell us a little about your background as a writer. Sure, thanks. Um, I am a, a teacher trainer. I train school teachers and have for many years all over the country and the world. And um, classroom management is my focus. And so I wrote a book 10 years ago called Conscious Classroom Management. And it became a it was self-published, became a bestseller, and is still selling quite well. And I've written... Another book called Picture This, which is mostly visuals, but a lot of words to accompany it, and also a second edition of Conscious Classroom Management, mm-hmm. which I finished about a year ago. And um, so that's, I mean, I, and I also write, sometimes I just, I have to write. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sometimes I get up in the middle of the night and I just, I just put my fingers to the keyboard and stuff comes through. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think of myself as a writer, even though I'm a, well-known, best-selling author. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I've done in the background, and I, and I can give you more details depending on where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the writing process for that first book. So, I mean, a lot of people would say, well, you'd have to write a first, couple books that aren't successful before, you know, you got to yeah. just get a few out of the way, and then, right. but, how? Do, you know, what, what was that like for you to try to write something, and okay. did, did you spend extra time on that one trying to get it right, do you feel like, or was it... Uh, yeah, a lot of great questions. Um, Okay, backstory is I was a school teacher in my like second year and I decided I wanted to write a book 
for new teachers because I was so close to the new teacher experience, I thought it'd be valuable. Mm -hmm. So I had just finished a job at a school. This is back when the, the technology was like Mac Classic was the heavy duty, heavy hitter in the in the in the uh, personal computer world. Is the Apple IIG? No, thing? was it? That was old. That was, that's really old. Okay. This is yeah. the Mac Classic. Okay, and actually, it's the first actual PC. Uh -huh. um, anyway, um, so I had uh, left the school, but they let me come in in the summer to use the computer. So I would come in every morning and write about um, basically the beginnings of this book. Mm -hmm. And I would save the, save it on the hard drive, save it on a floppy disk with my name on it. Mm -hmm. One day, maybe a month in, I came in and everything I had written was gone. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, some teacher had come in and said, oh, well, Rick's not here anymore. And he deleted my hard drive and he deleted the floppy disk. Uh -huh. And uh, so fortunately... I needed that extra megabyte of space, you know. Yeah, sure. right. I know. It was just, I was so upset. I poured my heart and soul in this. I had, I had about 40 pages, uh -huh. um, which was a lot, actually, because it was very dense stuff. Yeah. So I was able to uh, get a computer friend to come in and undelete oh, wow. the stuff. It was unformatted, and I think I kept all of it. It nice. was kind of like little weird symbols showed up. And I took it, and I put it in a, on a disc, and I, I didn't look at it for 10 years. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like the message was, Rick, you're ahead of your time, or it's not time, or you need to just sit on this. Yeah. So I waited. Huh. And, then I wrote, and then I wrote the book, and then I took those 40 pages and looked through them, and I sprinkled them throughout the book. And they felt still they, relevant? They were totally useful. alive. They wow, were totally alive. And the truth, really is awesome. that, the truth is that the longer I was teaching, the further away I was from the new teacher experience. Mm -hmm. So what I had written initially was really, really valuable, even though it changed and moved and grew over time. It, it gave me the... A few logistical pieces and a lot of the kind of emotional reality of what it means to be struggling when you're first starting, which is unfortunately very common for beginning teachers. So it, it was just it was just odd. It was like, wow, I guess I need to wait. And I waited like 10 years. Wow. That yeah. gives me so much hope for the the, the <laughs> ancient files in my computer, like yeah. books started. I mean, I, right. I, I was actually a very similar thing. I had just gotten out of the Navy, mm -hmm. and I realized, wow, I've been helping a lot of people transition out of the military, and this could be this could be a book or something. I mean, yeah. this is there's so much good advice in here. I don't see anything out there that's helping people. So, I started writing a book. I wrote this wonderful intro, and I have a couple <laughs> chapters, and I even started a little Facebook group with people. Yeah. You know, and it was and I had a cool title success after service nice. you know and it was going to be about like an un, living an unconventional life after leaving the military which is really difficult because in the military you're taught the exact opposite of what you need to live an unconventional life and and i just kind of stopped it and yeah. and yeah. i and every once in a while i'm like ah, i could totally i could totally write that book but yeah. i gotta finish the project i'm on now yeah. and and, yeah. and it's so good to hear that that that's possible i really honestly thought it's like the window i thought i had i had this theory that there's this window of opportunity yes. and it's gone. Yeah, and you know, th th there's two theories. One is that, and the other is that it's never too late. And then the issue, you know, I hear songwriters, I remember reading an interview with John Lennon who was lamenting, he would listen to some of his songs that the Beatles put together, and all he would hear was the glitches and how it could have been better and how they fought in the studio. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, like these are the most, the, be the most beautiful songs ever written, and he's lamenting the... Um, the process because he didn't get it what he wanted. Yeah. And um and but but like when you're a songwriter and you you know you you're on tour 
and they say, can you play that best, that, that big hit from 40 years ago? It's like, you, you have to, you know, you've moved on creatively, but the audience is still with mm-hmm. the big, so it's tricky. Mm-hmm. Like, so you're no longer in the Navy, and it, if it's not your passion to do that writing, then it won't, it won't really resurface. But mm-hmm. if you can find, if you can find that, and the passion is always there, it's kind of like in a compartment. Mm-hmm. And if you open that drawer, you can access the writing and do it. But, yeah. you know, you never know because you do move on. Things do. It's funny because, you know, I, I could say in a lot of ways that I am passionate about that. Mm-hmm. And my sense is if I get into that, then I'll lose the window. I, I really, this window theory is very, very yeah. <laughs> limiting for me. It's yeah. like I'll lose the window of opportunity that I have now. It's almost like there's, there's this gateway that opens. Usually it seems like for like two years for an idea mm-hmm. and if I can get it out in that amount of time. Yeah. But again, I think this whole theory is starting to I'm starting to poke holes in it because I think I don't, it's self-limiting. I think yeah. I think that um you're more of an of a, of an agent of you you have more you have more say so in when what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think of attention as like a laser beam, well, it's in a good moment it's a laser beam, in a bad moment it's like a, a, a light bulb which just kind of goes out. But if you're focused, you can plug into one thing and then plug into something else. I don't think it's I don't think there's a I think the window is. I would see, I would. My sense is that there is an experience that there's a window, mm-hmm. and if you buy into that experience, then there's a window. Sure. You know, but it's like argue for your limitations, you know, and that's what you're going to get. So there is this possibility of, of revisiting and reopening windows, and mm-hmm. that you have that we're not a victim to when the windows open. Mm-hmm. You know, we have some say so. Yeah. So. It sometimes I also experience uh, this fear of spreading myself too thin if I try to write two books at once or three books at once or mm-hmm. an e-book within a book or do any sort of projects that are the same like if it's writing a book well, yeah. I only want to write one book because that would right. be easiest and, and, and I see that maybe I, I mean that's there's plenty of authors out there who are writing multiple books and they're wonderful yeah you know? I, I, th- I think it's just it's personal preference I mean if, if, you're, if you're passionate about what you're doing that's the most important thing if you're into it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you put, I mean, for me, you know, we'll get into this in a few minutes, but I had to push through this membrane of resistance to the, do that. And once I pushed through, it was actually really pleasurable. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, if I'm doing like a, a self-help type book or a manual for teachers versus a novel, I don't see anything wrong with going back and forth. It's like sometimes you want to take a break from one thing and do something else. It, it, it's not... It's, it depends on who you are, but I don't think it's necessarily limiting mm-hmm. or, or going to get in the way to have three or four or five projects going at the same time. You'll know. It's like you touch a project, nope, not time. You touch another project, ooh, this is the one I'm into today. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a different type of discipline, but it's also can be very pleasurable. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Like I don't always want to eat ice cream and cake. Sometimes I want, you know, main course, and you just kind of flow back and forth. So I think it's totally possible. Yeah. I actually agree with you. That's just, yeah. I, I say this almost every podcast, but I, I love how useful these interviews have been for my own writing process. <laughs> right. really, it's a completely selfish. Right. Right. Uh, well, say more about this resistance that you. Were well, let me about. let me just give you a little some some story on the writing of the book. So I was traveling around the country, getting um, doing uh, workshops for teachers, and I had. Let's see. I had quit my teaching job because the requests were coming in fast and furious, mm-hmm. and. Um, and every time I would finish a workshop, people would come up and say, do you have a book? I would love to read your book. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. And I just thought, you know, from a financial perspective, it's crazy not to have a book. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it can double your income 
just with sales at the back of the room. And that's an important thing when you're a consultant and you're racking up the miles. Yeah. It, it's hard. And also, it's great. A book is a much more powerful resource than the speech speaking because I talk for two to six hours, but a book they can refer to all. So it's, it was valuable for pedagogically. It was valuable financially. Mm-hmm. And I resisted it for a long time because I was exhausted and I'm traveling all the time. Anyway, a friend of mine who had already done this process in education said something really powerful to me. He said, Rick, you only have to write it once. Mm-hmm. And that was my mantra for a long time because it was so daunting. Mm-hmm. to go from zero to you know 250 pages um, so I started writing I don't know how long it took because I was traveling a lot a year or two to you know plus adding in the stuff I had done 10 years earlier mm-hmm. um, actually it was more than 10 years it was like 14 years earlier mm-hmm. when I had that erasure eraser incident mm-hmm. um, but I would sit down to write and and um, I'll talk about the resistance and go back to how I did the structure. But mm-hmm. the resistance was, uh, it's like I wanted to do anything but write. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I want to get on the internet. I want to, you know, read a book. I want to take a walk, get on the phone, and I and I. It was like became an old friend. Oh, here we are. Here's resistance. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like when I do breath work now. The first five minutes, I just want to sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can push through it, then my breathing keeps going and. So that was there, and I kept saying to myself, you only have to do this once. See, for me, there was a big financial incentive, because mm-hmm. I knew it would sell, because if you speak to 10,000 people a year, a percentage of them are going to buy your book, and, you know, so I, I knew there was money in it, Yeah, which was helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happened, well, I didn't know, like, okay, from a financial perspective, I should write three small books, I should just publish them quick, get them out there. Um, because back of the room sales aren't going to change if it's a really beautiful book or a, just a bunch of words. And what I found myself doing was shifting into wanting to make a difference and wanting to do a beautiful book. Mm-hmm. I did not think that I would make money on it because it's for new teachers and they don't have any money. Yeah. Right? But as it turned out, school districts around the country have money allotted to buy books for new teachers, so it's actually the most lucrative field in education publishing there is. Mm. I didn't know that. I just, I ended up making this beautiful piece. And I remember that the piece that I, that I want to share is a couple. One is I would go, I would, I would have, I'd have three hours to write, say, in the morning. I sit down on my computer. Okay, I want to get this, these two or three pages worked out. I want to write this piece. And I go back to the previous paragraph to get some continuity and just look at, read it through to get started. And I read it through and I go, you know, that's good enough. And every time... I said to myself, that's good enough. A voice came in and said, good enough is not good enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> it, was li- it was like literally, it's good enough is not good enough. And I was like, oh, God. And I go back. Uh-huh. And sometimes I spend three hours on that paragraph. Yeah. And just read, you know, maybe it's a page. But I, I literally like, and at the end of the, the, the day of writing, I'd have, I've, had, I've moved forward to zero. Yeah. But I had done the piece before where I would look at it and I would feel tingly inside, like, wow, this is, yeah. this is good. Yeah. You know? And there's a quote that I, um, I don't know the exact quote, but apparently um, Ernest Hemingway, he rewrote The Sun Also Rises, the last page, uh-huh. 39 times. Yeah. <laughs> and he said something that I just found true from my experience. He said, he said, sometimes I write to the best of my ability. And then he said, every once in a while I do better. Yeah, yeah. 
which which was kind of what happened to me. Mm-hmm. It's like I look back at this book sometimes and I read sections and I go, "Who wrote this? This is really good." Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how that how that happened. Mm-hmm. It was like I just felt like I was willing to be uh, used, mm. you know, by whatever you want to call it, spirit, whatever, to 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 reach out in my own way to love the teachers who are reading this book, mm. and that act of love propelled me through um, all the resistance, the membrane of like, oh, I don't want to do this, and then then you get some gold, and then you get some rocks, and you get some gold, and it was uh, along the traveling. Sometimes I'm riding late at night in a hotel somewhere. And, all that, but um, I definitely had a lot of moments where um, the writing was better than I thought I could do, mm-hmm. and um, and it kept going like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that magic comes. My guess is it's a combination of, in my sense, a commitment, literally a commitment to love, mm-hmm. in this particular way, and um, and also. Um, there was this sense that I was like I let go of the money, mm-hmm. and I'm just writing. I want. I say I'm probably want to do this once. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to come back, mm-hmm. and I want to do the best job. I, I want to put all of myself into this, mm-hmm. and maybe that's what did it. You know mm-hmm. that like I, there was no like I don't know. Maybe ten people will read this book, mm-hmm. but I want this to be something that um, that at least touches consciousness. Mm. Even if not a lot of people read it, at least it's out there in the in the in the field, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that was my. So it was more self-referential. It's like I want to do this, whether it's whether it's read or not. Mm-hmm. And then as it turned out, it's you know it, it keeps selling. So mm-hmm. so that was kind of a two for one special. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's beautiful. I mean, and 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 it's, I think it's especially hard. When you know there's a financial incentive, mm-hmm. because in a sense there there is a financial incentive for anybody who writes a book, because totally. there's always the possibility of selling it. But then when you have this kind of like blank check waiting to be filled in, yeah, because of the work you're doing, sure, it makes it even that more important to put that aside during the creative process. You know? Yeah, and there was this whole piece like I make a, a good chunk of my money in August. That's when the new teachers train, mm-hmm. and if I could have that book in my hands, ready to distribute in August. There's a there's a whole bunch of money sitting there on the table for August, mm-hmm. and the book ended up coming out in October. <laughs> of course, you know, yeah. And I raced, raced, raced because I self-published it, so I did all the graphics and the layout and all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the words were done probably in December, January, and the book came out in October. It was a long process, mm-hmm. which is a whole other piece which I wouldn't mind mentioning to your listeners. Yeah, um, the value of self-publishing and how to go about it. Yeah. Um, but. Um, so what? But I was rushing, 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 and you know, and it's like, and at some point, I just realize you know what I can't I can't cut corners on the quality so I'll just it'll be ready when it's ready mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. at the time you figure you know most new books have a shelf life of three to six months and then that's it then the new book comes along and nobody remembers the old book this book has been going for now 11 years and it's still popular and it's, it's just a whole different field so I didn't realize and I rushed and mm-hmm. it was it was very stressful particularly here I am in August traveling around the country, probably did 17 workshops in August in 17 different states. And yeah, I'm writing my book. Everybody asked you. And I'm writing my book at the same, well, I'm doing the work afterwards and everyone's asking, where's your book? And I'm like, it's coming, it's, it's coming. coming, it's coming, you know, I hope it's coming. You yeah. Know, you just, but you know, when you get the, when you get it in the mail, 
and it shows up it's like I don't know how to describe it it's just this it's kind of like giving birth mm-hmm. it's like whoa mm-hmm. and it's this 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 weird kind of disconnect like I did this mm-hmm. this uh, this is mine like whose name is on the cover it's the, it's like it's a weird feeling mm-hmm. you know? and it's still there there's still a kind of a humility underneath or inside of you know I wrote this a best-selling book you know but it's like I had a lot of help mm-hmm. you know both seen and unseen and that's that's another piece because I did a second edition for this book um, I finished a little uh, maybe a year ago and um, and I did it differently I mean I hired and asked for ask help from so many people I just delegated it's almost like I was I was putting together these pieces I was managing the book as well as writing it it's a very different quality because mm. I realized okay I need to write about uh, you know cultural sensitivity in the classroom I'm not an expert who's an expert mm-hmm. let me talk to you let me get your let me read your book let me do a synopsis can you help me with a synopsis I need this piece who knows this piece and I was literally like paraphrasing and giving them credit and all that but it's like at this mm-hmm. point in my career it's best even if I didn't think of it mm-hmm. you know I want what's best yeah. And so it was a gathering and a sorting and that's a whole other creative process in itself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to talk about the self-publishing. I was t- when I was talking to Margot Anon the other night, mm-hmm. uh, she was asking about self-publishing and okay. we were talking about this podcast and then I showed her some of the episodes that were up already and she was looking for something with self-publishing and I was like oh you know so, so this is this is for Margot right here okay <laughs> what well, tell, you know sure. talk about self-publishing and, and what sure. that's like maybe for someone who that's just a whole new world for okay too. well it's that would be a whole podcast to do the whole thing but I'll give you the short the short pieces mm-hmm. first of all self-publishing is easier and easier because of um, print-on-demand technology it used to be that like when I wrote my book I think I printed 2,000 copies. That was the minimum you could print, you know, which is a huge investment. Mm-hmm. Um, now you can print one. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's still more expensive than printing 2,000, but it's not, it's not that expensive. Yeah, the overall bill is less expensive. Yeah. Well, sure, but the, the price per book, per book is, is, not prohibit, is not prohibitive now, mm-hmm. where it used to be. Mm-hmm. Like, it might have cost me $40 to print one book, where now I can do it for four mm-hmm. or five, so it's... You can actually sell it and make money with one with one copy, so you don't have to take that huge gamble in inventory. Yeah, and then you can uh, be sold out after one book. Exactly, yeah. second edition. Yeah. <laughs> second reprint. It's a reprint. Yeah, yeah, but limited edition. Exactly, one hundred reprints. That's it. 100 books. This is the only one of its kind. That's right. Um, so people have asked me over the years, um, should I self-publish or should I go through a self through a publisher? And I have. I always ask two questions. One is, what's the, what's the book about? And two is, how many people do you see a year in your professional role? Mm-hmm. If you see four or 500 people a year, like if you're a public speaker of some sort, you do workshops and people come through, that is the number one way to sell a book is through that kind of personal connection. Mm-hmm. And in, unless you have like, like a, an amazing bestseller, one of those one, one in a lifetime things, you're going to do 75% of the marketing if you go through a publisher anyway. And publishers will be much more likely to want to publish your book if you see four or 500 people a year because they go, okay, well, you see 500 people a year, one or 200 of those are going to buy the book. Mm-hmm. That's instant marketing for the publisher. And then I'm saying to myself, well, why would I use a publisher then if, and make 10% when I can make 90% mm-hmm. 
you know. So if, if you're writing a novel and you're, you're kind of an introvert in your home, you don't go out and meet people, go through a publisher. Mm-hmm. You know, that's because you're not going to, it's not going to, you know, use family members. But, um, and then now there's new ways on the internet with, with ebooks and this and that. But still, the personal connection is really valuable for selling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first piece. And see, it's literally, it's like you look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. What makes more. Now, there's something I want to ask you about that because sure. it sounds like there is a bit of a myth about how much publishers are going to get behind your book. Huge you myth. Know? Huge myth. Yeah. yeah. They don't. <laughs> and, and, you know, and the bigger the publisher, the less interested they are in promoting your book. Yeah. And, and, and this is a blanket statement. There's always exceptions. But, and the reason is, the, their size is what makes the money. Publishers are about making money. It's all about profit. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not about unless they're a small, like New Age bookstore or something. They're about making money, which is fine. Mm-hmm. That's how it is, and they make money by figuring we're going to make a certain amount per title. The more titles we have, the more money we make, and they'll just put title out after title. And three to six months after they put it out, you know, if it hasn't sold, no problem. They go on to the next one. Yeah. So same with the record companies and, yeah, and the music, you know. Yeah, it's, it's and it's, it's we just need to know that. Yeah, it's very rare for a book to go more than six months, and and make profit. Um, now there are exceptions like my book because it's for new teachers and there are new teachers every year. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, it's a three. You know, the, it's the big blast that happens and that's where it kicks, and that's where the money is made. And they, um, you're going to do seventy five percent. I is my estimate of the marketing. They'll put it. They'll put out, um, you know, their in their catalog on their online catalog. They'll put a picture of your book and a description. You know, maybe they'll send it to Amazon. Um, but they're not going to send you on book talks. That's mm-hmm. that. That's gone. And, and that's your major exception. Mm-hmm. You you pay your way, and because it's just it's a numbers game. Yeah. And um, unless if you're a big name and they want and they and they get you. Then what you want from them is you want a um, a down payment that's big enough that you know that they're invested in selling it. Totally. This yeah. is something actually. So a guy named Ari Hest, who's a friend of mine, who's a musician, mm-hmm. independent musician, but also was signed to Columbia for about four years. Did two records with them. Nice. And I talked to him after he left Columbia, and, and I said, "Hey, how was that whole experience for you?" And he said, "You know, if there's one thing I would have done more, it's." It's ask for more, so they would invest more in me. Yeah, it's not that you get a ten thousand dollar check. That's not the issue. The issue is that the company has invested ten thousand. That's their show of good faith that they're going to invest more. Mm-hmm. And that's because if they if they if they don't invest anything, they don't care. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not financially invested in selling it, and so it's less likely to sell. Yeah, because he had been in a, he had been doing his own touring on the road just self-sufficient yeah. for 10 years before he met them, right. before he signed with them. And so when they came to him and said, hey, do you need tour support? He's like, nah, I'm good. I, I do this all the time. And, right. and they said, okay. And they went on and he actually got signed around the same time as a girl named Anna Nalik who wrote, mm-hmm. a, best, who wrote a hit called Breathe. And yeah. she did the opposite. She, was, she said, no, I need all the tour support you can give me. So bring it on, and they invested a lot in her, and oh, lo and behold, yeah. you know she she had a chart topper and all that right, stuff. Right. So there's a lesson there. You know, and it is because it's like, do we really need the help? Well, no. But again, when we see what it's actually about, yeah. it's about them putting you know yeah, putting you their have skin to have in the game. Invested in it, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So let's see the other thing for self-publishing um, for a book, and this is really hard to communicate on audio. 
Um, people can go to my website and look at the cover and the first chapter of my book. It's ConsciousTeaching.com. Mm -hmm. ConsciousTeaching.com, and the book is Conscious Classroom Management. And the reason is this. Um, like it or not, what the book looks like and feels like will be the biggest factor in its sell in its sales. Mm -hmm. You can have. I've seen so many people self-publish a book, and then they think, "Well, the more pages, the more cost. I'm going to cram the words into as few pages as I can. The margins are small. You pick up a book like that, you look at it, and your head hurts, mm -hmm. and you just put it down. And you go, "That's a nice book," and you smile to your friend, but you don't ever read it. Mm -hmm. There needs to be white space. There needs to be. Look at the the stuff for dummies. The white space, icons, graphics, cartoons, mm -hmm. um, you know, gray boxes. All of that. In, you have to invite the eye to rest on the page. Mm. And the book design should should feel like you want the reader to feel when they read your book. Mm. Lyrical, open, relaxed. And what I suggest is that. Go to a bookstore and look at books that you like the layout. They don't have to be in your field. Mm -hmm. Look at books where you like the layout. Pick one, two, or three and buy them. And then use them with your graphic artist, unless you do it yourself as a graphic artist, mm -hmm. to guide the graphics. The graphics are half of the, of the issue. Mm. I told you, my, my, I finished the writing in December or January. The book came out in October. That all was graphics. That was all layout. Mm. And it's, it was a huge labor, and it was way more expensive than I, than if, you know, I kept thinking, well, I, you know, if I had known what it was going to cost, I probably wouldn't have done it. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I didn't know, because I've made 30 or 50 times what I put in. Yeah. But it took a lot of time, you know, and, and I'm very proud of it. When you look at the book, you can just see, you can feel it. That was the first, one of the first things I mentioned when I read it. And when I opened it up, I said, oh, I really like how you did this with the layout. I like yeah. how... It's not just words upon words. It's, there's the boxes. There's yep. things. Pull quotes. You know. Yeah. And I think there's an points. art to that too because, you know, I, I've seen some books do that poorly where I can tell they're trying to highlight some things. Right. But like, you know, putting things in bold or yeah, like yeah, all yeah, caps. Yeah. Like there's ways to make that. Yeah. It's just like, oh, no, it's right. not It's and not artistic. No. And, and, you know, that's where you get a really good graphics person. And I did. I actually took me several. But I, I came up, I got, I, I settled on someone I really liked. And then I had a book that I found that I really liked. I liked the layout. Mm -hmm. It was soft, it was inviting. And you remember, I'm writing for a particular audience. I'm writing for school teachers. So, and they're new teachers, but most of them are women. Mm -hmm. You know, they love children. Um, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, right. <laughs> they're inspired to teach. And so I'm writing to that, that person, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 they're, and they're busy and they don't, probably can't read a whole book. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I heard tell that People Magazine was designed, the articles were designed initially so that a person could read an article while they were on the toilet. That's the length of the articles. Mm -hmm. And that's how I wrote my book. And I tell people, I say, I, I wrote this book, so if you take this, you leave the book in your bathroom, go to the bathroom, you leave with a strategy, right? You leave with an idea you can use. And it's literally designed that way because we don't have, teachers don't have time. Nobody has time. Yeah. So if it's that kind of book, design it so that People can take stuff away if they just thumb through. Mm -hmm. That's the ideal. So yeah. you don't have to read the whole thing. I mean, if there's pull quotes and they just open around, oh, there's a little quote that's highlighted. Oh, I like that quote. I think I'll read that chapter. Mm -hmm. But it's literally like the cover advertises the book, the pages advertise the words, mm. the words advertise the next 
the next page. It's like it's all drawing the reader in to want to stay. Mm. And not in a manipulative way, but in a way that, hey, this is something that's going to be of value to you. Yeah. So stay with it. Yeah. And it's, re- it's like the money that is spent in, in supermarkets with products competing for shelves at the eye level. You know, because it sells a whole lot more than shelves on the bottom or top. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I don't know what, how long people look at books, but on a website, they might, what, two to five seconds before they go to the next website? Mm-hmm. A book is the same thing. They'll look at the cover, they'll look at the back. Maybe they open to the table of contents, maybe. Mm-hmm. And if it invites them in, they'll stay. Yeah. And so when you're, and it costs money. That's the advantage of a publisher is you give them the words, they spend the money, they copy edit it. Mm-hmm. So it's more of an investment up front. Mm-hmm. And I would suggest not to skimp on it because you skimp, you'll skimp on sales. Yeah. And it has to feel good mm-hmm. or it's not going to sell. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the long-term value of something too because, you know, this is the, like, this idea that the book is going to sell because people talk about it. Well, mm-hmm. people are going to talk about it if they read it. People are going to read it if they like it, if they if it's pleasing. If it's pleasing. So it's not like the first thing that happens you know but it's a long tail effect it's like this sure. thing that happens over time yeah. and yeah. and yeah I, I think that's I think that's enormously important and it's really undervalued one, one thing to do you just go into a bookstore or a library and find books that you do not like not based on the title but just on how they feel yeah like open them up look at the text look at the cover do you like do you not like what is it about it that you don't like and how can you change that what is it about it you like and take that it's really it's a fun yeah. Visit to the store. And they still have bookstores. Yeah, they still, there's two or three. <laughs> yeah, there's two yeah. or three, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> bookstores. <laughs> yeah, no, but, and that's super important to be, and that is a perfect place to do it in a bookstore because there is something about it picking it up too. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and actually, a lot could be said for going through books online and seeing yeah. how they feel on a Kindle. Yep. Now, absolutely. because that's important too, or yep. how they feel. You know, on a website in a PDF form. Yeah, you know? and it's a whole lot cheaper to self-publish an ebook than it is to public self-publish a paper book. Mm-hmm. So that, and that's a field I haven't, I haven't dabbled in. Yeah. Um, and that's a whole, but still, nonetheless, how are they laid out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's becoming a really interesting thing. I, I really like the way Seth Godin does his mm-hmm. PDF and his ebooks, and and there is a whole different. I guess mindset or probably a set of possibilities when it comes to what you can do graphic wise with a with a book that's electronic. Yeah. Because then you can you can now you're talking about hyperlinks, now you're talking about like maybe even graphics that are moving. Right. Now you're talking about not worrying about having a big complex color thing that has to be printed because right. it's not gonna be printed and right. you know, there's all sorts of cool ideas now that, that can well, be Well, this is what my second edition is. I actually decided to go through a company, a particular company, because um, they have a dedicated sales team, and, and, they, and they only produce two books a year. Um, uh, School Improvement Network, and they are a video education company, but they're doing this thing called a Lumi book. So my second edition is now one of their Lumi books, hmm. L-U-M-I book, Lumi book. And so it's ebook only, and it um, has clickable links, hmm. and has PDFs and graphs and stuff like that. But the biggest piece is there's video. Like there's video of me speaking in a workshop. There's video of me being interviewed. There's video of teachers using the strategies. There's videos of kids. Yeah, it's really rich and it's very user friendly. And it's a, I guess you call it like a multimedia book. Yeah, is what it is. And this is the new, 
new paradigm and it's you know and so that's that's the direction i decided to go mm-hmm. and yet the paper book is still outselling the lumi book mm-hmm. you know who knows how that works but right it's just how it is yeah. yeah and and the overhead of electronic books is nothing I well mean, if you're doing video the overhead is massive if you're not doing video it's it's nothing yeah well to host it essentially you're talking about oh yeah and i mean creating it, it there's to, a more there's a the production cost is bigger but but then each sale is yeah just a click pure profit so right. it's, that's kind of nice yeah and, uh, right. and good for the environment too, you know. Yeah, right. Which is kind of interesting. <laughs> that I mean, good. That's why. That's why I went to a Kindle for myself, because when Paula and I decided to move, when we were originally going to move to San Francisco yeah. in July, and then we decided to come here to Bali, but I had just so many books, and then I got the Kindle, and I it just kind of hit me that this is a huge waste yeah. of not just like my effort in putting these in boxes and moving them around, but these are paper. I mean, some of these books I've actually bought multiple times. Right. And I realized with the Kindle, I literally have to buy it once, and that's right. it. That's it. I can go back and re-download it. Some, I, mean, I can give it away, and I can I can pass it off and lend it to people. There's all sorts of cool things that happen with that. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's changing. It. I don't know. Uh, what I, I just read the other day that 50% of Americans have some kind of e-reader at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's growing. It's still paper books are still much bigger mm-hmm. percentage of the market, but it is it's going to be changed. It's going to switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gambled on that with my second edition. I think that was a good gamble. I think so too. <laughs> You're betting on the internet. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> right. Like, <laughs> the information superhighway. <laughs> I think this internet thing's going to work out. Yeah, <laughs> starting to be big in Indonesia. So yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I see kids with their phones. Yeah, and I think that's 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 and you know we. Then you can also make an app. I mean, what would like a conscious classroom management app? You know, Absolutely. and then there's also there's just app. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, all right. <laughs> okay, so what? Let's talk about. Let's say someone is going to go through the sub self publishing process. Okay. What are some? You talked about some hurdles, but what are some other hurdles that they could expect? Maybe mentally too. You know, what are those? Well, what are the hard stuff to deal with? You know, I am a firm believer that. Um, Help is a good thing. <laughs> and I hired a friend who's a copy editor who's phenomenal. And she made all the difference. I would say she, I, you know, I did the writing, but she would take it and she would move things around. She said, look, Rick, you are a really good speaker and you write like you're speaking in a room. The written word is a little different than the spoken word. Let me show you. <laughs> Let me help you. And she would edit and I would get it and then I would change my writing style changed and then she would make changes and keep my voice mm-hmm. while she, which is a really talented thing to do so it was in my voice with her changes mm-hmm. and move chapters around and you know help the organization and it was so valuable mm-hmm. and th- that's something that um, you know you kind of you kind of get what you pay for I mean you can get lucky and find someone who's really good who doesn't charge a lot and it's worth looking because if you're starting out you don't need money mm-hmm. But it's really helpful to get that kind of help. And if you publish, they'll, they'll provide someone right. who may or may not be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I did for this last second edition, they provided someone and I hired my friend again. Because mm-hmm. I wanted, look, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to do it right and get the best feedback I could. Mm-hmm. So that's a big piece is just getting help. And then What's her name? Her name is Kristen, what's her last name? Um... Maybe you can give me her website and I'll put it on the show notes. I will. Yeah, yeah. she's really she's incredibly talented. And she doesn't charge very much, and yeah, she, I, Kristen Donnan, K 
K-R-I-S-T-A-N-D-O-N-N-A-N. Cool. Yeah, and I'll see if I can get you the notes. And if people go to my website, they can email me. Okay. And I'll and I'll send them her contact information. Okay, great. She's in South Dakota. Nice. Yeah, of all places. Um, she's got time on her hands. She's got time yeah, on her hands. Well, she's very busy writing, <laughs> yes, actually, yeah, writing and yeah. editing. Um, so that's a big thing is, is asking for help, the layout. Um, patience. It's a longer process than just writing is a huge process. And then, and then, and I mean, you got to get an ISBN number. You got to, there's all these little details. There's a great book. Now, I haven't looked at this book in 10 years, mm-hmm. but it was like in its 10th edition. And it's called The Self Publishing Manual mm-hmm. by Dan Pointer, P O Y N T E R. And even if it's no longer in print, I think it's probably still going because it's such a good book. Mm-hmm. He talks about every aspect. And I, that was my Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a whole big section on marketing and how you release your book and how you get on bestseller lists and all and shipping. I mean, he covers every aspect of self-publishing. Nice. And, you know, it's dated or it was dead, but he's updated it. He had updated it every year, so I haven't tracked it, but it's it was invaluable. That's great. Yeah, and I would suggest if you're thinking, if you're deciding whether to self-publish or not, Find that book and look at it. And there's a section on you, should you self-publish. So it really covers A to Z. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, he was uh, really valuable for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something you said about the graphics that I want to go back to and touch on is really interesting. It's like I feel like the knowing graphic design is, is sort of becoming a prerequisite mm. today. In all sorts of different art fields. Yes. But I notice it's one of those things, like for me as a 32-year-old writer, entrepreneur guy, knowing a little bit of web design is really almost essential. Yes. You know? And I can design my own. So all my websites I've done, and now I used WordPress. I wasn't, I didn't get into CSS, but I kind of know a little bit about it. But I know HTML and and there is there's like a basic level of graphic design where I I'm not a whiz, right. but I'm pretty good. I'm I'm decent, you know. Right. So I could do the graphic design for my book. It just might take me ten times as long as the other guy who's really good at it. Right. But that gives me a way to to communicate with him. It gives me a language. It gives me an, a knowledge of of quality and appreciation for what's possible. Yes. Um, and sometimes I do it myself, and and I'm okay with that because it's a fun labor right. of love. And this is this yeah. is where having a model is so helpful. Like if you just went to a graphic artist and said, "I want to write this book," and they asked me a few questions and they put together a a look, um, what you can do, like I said, find a book or a combination of books that have the kind of pieces that you like, and that's your template. And then your graphic artist uses that to make the way we 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 language it. They make a a mold, and then you pour the words into the mold. It's kind of how it works. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's why it's so valuable. Mm-hmm. And one, one other um, piece that, that I didn't mention that's quasi-related is that depending on the book that you're writing, it can save you a lot of time and stress if you know what it's going to look like before you write it. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the, it looks like the cart before the horse. Example, a friend of mine wrote a book called uh, 50 Ways to Love Your Students. 50 Strategies, right? And it's 100 pages, and every two pages is one of the strategies. It's laid out, laid out, laid out. It's really easy to use. It's totally super user-friendly. Mm-hmm. And he knew 100 pages. I mean, there's some exceptions. There's a couple of four, 
four page pieces and this and that. But mm-hmm. it's but when you know you've got two pages and you have to have an image and you've got to have a, a summary, you know how many words are going to be on that page, mm-hmm. and that will change how you write. Yeah. So if if you didn't know that and you're gonna you write for months longer because you write too much and then you have to edit it down but if you know the, the amount of literally the amount of words you're going to have and what it's going to look like and you have a sense of the, the look versus the words the words are pointing to the images the images are pointing to the words it will speed up the process immensely mm-hmm. so this is something also that self-publishers don't normally look at you know if, and it's not always possible but if you know what it's going to look like before you write it will save you a massive amount of time in the writing mm-hmm. potentially Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I was also thinking about how just understanding the 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 what your book's gonna feel like in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I think about the the graphics, that's you know you can't you can't just have someone do a book cover and then maybe a different person do the interior and then a different person do your website. It ends it just ends up being this whole beautiful theme. Right. And the choice for that theme, like that is everything, you know, and then it's going to inform how you write the book too. It's going to, it's going to just give it an overall feel um, or how you write it, it's going to inform that, of course. Yeah, but, it's true. Um, it's true. It's and, fascinating. and I was just telling this to Robin the other day, my wife, certain musicians that are famous made it because they were so damn good, they were going to make it, mm-hmm. you know, and I said like Paul Simon. He's just good. He's just so good. He's going to make it, you know. Mm-hmm. Joni Mitchell, so good, mm-hmm. you know. Others, I'm not so sure. Right time, right place, you know, and I named a few, which I won't name here. Sure. But, but, you know, they, they made it, be, in, but they're not, but they're like, so if you're supremely talented and you've got that spark in you, um, it's going to happen. Like, you'll, you'll, whatever make it means. And the other thing is that this is a weird you know, and I don't know that, that you would agree with me, but there's this energetic reality. I talk about this in my book when I talk about teachers speaking to students from either inner apology or inner authority mm. and what that continuum is like. And when we're in inner authority, um, where we're, we're really in that state of confidence and presence, it changes the w- what people hear. Mm-hmm. You know, and it'll literally change what people see on your website. Like if you're putting this website up going... I know that I have something of supreme value to offer and I can't wait for people to take advantage of this. Mm-hmm. They'll feel that and the graphics will actually look better. The same graphics will look better. But if you put that website up going, well, I, I don't know, I guess I maybe ought to do this and you know, I'm just in an apologetic way, then you're gonna, that's what people are going to feel. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an invisible quality that permeates not only when you talk about your work, but the work itself mm-hmm. and, I, and I, I believe that and, I, and, I, and it's, it's a consciousness issue and you know, maybe the listeners here will agree or not but that's been my experience um, 100% yeah. for sure and, and different people use different words to sure. describe that for sure you know there's a guy named George Pransky who uh, him and his wife talk about it as that's coming from your grounding yeah. you know, when you're coming from the thing that you're certain about yep whether that's just one little insight or not, when you start from that place, it gives it a feel and a tone. Yep. Um, you know, Dave, David Cates has been talking about, well, I guess in privately, this idea of we're always giving lyrics and music. Mm. So 
we're aware of the lyrics because they're literally what the words that are spoken. Right. But the music that's coming with it is what oftentimes people are really tuning into, whether right. they realize it or not. And, right. I, and I love that because it's true. Right. I mean, what kind of music are you playing and how skilled are you are you at this piano? I mean, are you just hacking around right. or are you really like right. with it, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that takes practice and it takes, you know. It's a nice analogy. That Margaret Mead quote, if a fish were an anthropologist, the last thing it would discover would be water. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we're in the music of people's consciousness all the time. You know, when you meet someone and they, and they speak to you and they, it's everything they say is logical, compelling, and you just want to leave the room. Mm-hmm. Or, or the opposite. Well, they're fumbling around, but I really want to hang out with this person. Like, what is that invisible quality? And it permeates the words that we write. It permeates the the layout. It permeates it because it's in. It, it can just. It's a. It's a. It's a invisible but powerful communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think about this too because I've said this for years. Being a musician and playing mm-hmm. guitar on stages, I've said this where I could hold a guitar and be strumming something and say anything. And it'll go over. Right. <laughs> like I right. can I can tell the worst joke ever. Right. But if it's before I'm playing a song and I'm just kinda hacking around, people are cool with it. There right. literally is music coming with it. Yeah. You know, and I used to open I've opened up for a bunch of comedy shows. Nice. And I always felt so lucky that I have this wooden instrument with me that 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 makes me funny. Right. It's like right. I don't have to right. I don't have to sit there. Right. And and again, and comedians of course develop how to set the tone of a room and how to you know work with the yes. the lack of actual music but right. to create their own tone well that's something that i yeah. i have studied and I, I invite uh presenters to study as well is is to to study uh, comedians particularly like because i talk to I'm, i train teachers and i train presenters and it's like you want to be funny the first thing you need to do you need to have is a safety net like if you're going to say, go out on a limb and say something you think is funny, nobody laughs, you have to know how to recover from that. Mm-hmm. So study comedians and watch what they do when a joke bombs. <laughs> I, just, I, <laughs> I, I just interviewed this guy, J.P. Sears, today, who yeah. does this ultra-spiritual videos. I don't know if you've seen those. No, he, he, was on, he came on this mastermind that I was doing, and he had the funniest recovery to something that I think was just brilliant. <laughs> it was, so he was, it was a virtual thing, and so he was talking, and somebody told a story, and then he said, oh, you know, Jason, I really want to... I want to say I totally agree with that. And this guy's name was Sam. And so Sam spoke up and said, actually, he's laughing, he's actually, my name's Sam. And, and JP says, like, without missing a beat, he says, well, that's just your opinion. <laughs> I was like, that's great. Oh, I can't believe it. That's that was just perfect. I mean, you've never even met this guy. That's brilliant. Well, that's just your opinion. That's your name. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. You know? We're going to just call you Jason. Will that be okay for you? <laughs> right. I just loved it. Yeah. I was like, oh, that is right. awesome. So the two things to notice in comedians is the recovery. Because if you have a couple of stock lines, and I notice in my workshops, I almost have planned in jokes that aren't going to work because I know I have the plan, the recovery, and they just, it just takes the room over. Yeah. Know? Well, that didn't work. And everybody just, you know, because as long as I'm not apologizing for it, well, right. I'm an idiot. You know, yeah. blah, blah. so there's a million ways, but it's presence. It's all about presence. And the other thing to notice with comedians is the pausing. Mm-hmm. Like they'll say a joke and, you'll, and they'll just, they won't say anything. They'll just stand there. Mm-hmm. And then you slowly, the audience will start ripples of laughter and then they'll just break in this huge laugh and there's this way of holding your ground it's weird steve martin was amazing at yeah like just he, the, the silence yeah and you know new comedians who are just starting out they'll they'll miss that beat and they'll bomb mm-hmm. but if you're really good and you have that presence you just be still and the audience somehow finds it 
they just find the ability, the permission to laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, what is funny? I mean, is just one of the most interesting yeah, right. things ever. You could spend a lifetime right. and still just die totally fascinated. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, it's what is funny or how is funny. It's like who is. It's like it's a yeah. Why is funny? It's yeah. one of those quantum physics things. It doesn't. It doesn't really exist. It's this this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so one question that I like asking people. And I'm hearkening back to maybe the, 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 just before those files got erased, I forget the name of that computer now you're saying. The but Mac you, Classic. The Mac Classic. So there you are, the Mac Classic. Yes. Uh, what, I'm picturing sort of a scenario like The Matrix or Tron where you could like, where some words would come on the screen, but you, you could send it back to your previous self, <laughs> interstellar style. Okay. Um, what would you what would you write to yourself if you could just write yourself a quick note at, at what you know now going back to where you started hmm that's a great question so when i first started writing like the very beginning before it was erased like yeah like I sat that down, whole like i, sat down I think i'm going to sit and okay. write some stuff now um hmm. i would say dear rick <laughs> Um, stay with it. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. You'll be glad you did. Love Rick. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, my future sounds a pretty nice guy. At least, you know? <laughs> right, 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 right. right. Yeah. I wouldn't say, dear Rick, you're an idiot if you stop. No, I would actually be very kind. Yeah. It's because it's, it was very, you know, it, it's daunting. And, and I will say one more thing. Um, Maybe not in direct answer to your question, but what I have for myself discovered over the years is that procrastination is part of the writing process. Mm. So if I sit down to write and then I check emails and I'm doing this and that, I understand that internally things are moving and working. And I'm not in stasis. Things are actually moving. And sometimes procrastination is just what I need. So it allows me to be a little less uh, judgmental of myself as I'm writing because I do procrastinate and and sometimes I, I, the, even the label procrastination doesn't always make sense I'm just I'm things are simmering inside mm-hmm. and I touch it and I move that's how I write sometimes I'll touch it I'll, I'll literally get up and walk away let it simmer I'll come back look at it play with it again and that t- in between time is often as valuable as the writing time mm-hmm. and I've I now hold it in this context that this is this is part of the writing process that's really beautiful. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah. A little gem at the end. That's a gem for sure. Yeah. Um, this has been as enjoyable or even more enjoyable than I thought. And cool. I had, Me you too. Know, um, yeah, really appreciate your perspective as a, and I, I'm not surprised in a way because of the teacher in you really mm-hmm. takes a lot of these lessons and communicates them so beautifully. Thank you. So Awesome. So thanks for joining me and I appreciate your time. Right on. Thanks. Yeah.